Two days ago, I saw a vehicle that had hauled that tanker. You want to get out of here? You talk to me. minute where we're gonna crash or crash through mad max to the road warrior one minute at a time i'm rick and i'm julia and today we're talking about minute 72 which begins with max sitting up and it ends with the feral child helping max walk technically max started sitting up yesterday but today he finishes sitting up because it's a bit of an arduous process for him in his injured state (laughs) as max is sitting up and he moves to start working his way off the bed we get a level of expression on his face that we are just not really used to he grimaces quite a bit yeah actually like telling us what's going on with him which we comment time and time again that he just doesn't do so that tells me he must be in quite a lot of pain yeah sometimes it's just too much and you can't mask it like when your entire body has been buffeted and pummeled the way his has. The standout detail of this shot, I think, is the feral child dropping down from the doorway. And he doesn't necessarily just jump. He swings down and hangs on the door frame before letting go and dropping to the ground, which he only does after dropping down more of Max's equipment. Once the feral child is down, he gathers up all of Max's things and he brings his clothes and his equipment to Max, who is still sitting on the cot there, and they share this look. And I find it significant that the last interaction that they really had was Max spurning the feral child and telling him to go away, telling him to just go away, forget about him, all that other stuff, not in so much words. But despite being sent away and told to leave Max alone, the feral child still believes in Max enough to protect his things, bring them back, and give Max the opportunity to be the road warrior. To not just be nothing, be garbage, or anything like that. The feral child knows that Max can do amazing things, and that if he can get him back in his uniform, if he can get him dressed and moving again, perhaps he can become more than what he was before. And from Max's side of things, like you said, this is the first time seeing the feral child since Max's rejection of him. And at the time that Max rejected him, he had everything that he needed. He had his car, he had his dog, he had fuel, he was good to go. Mm -hmm. And he refused to carve out a spot in that life for the feral child. And now that they are facing each other again, Max has nothing. Literally all of those things that were things he needed in the world are gone, have been taken away from him. Mm -hmm. And here before him is the feral child again. And the feral child still cares about Max. The feral child, I see him as representing an embodiment of the future, an embodiment of the path ahead. Because Max is so obsessed with the past. He was so obsessed with his interceptor. He was so obsessed with his dog, who wasn't necessarily in the text a replacement for the dog that he lost back in the first movie, but... No, they were a replacement for his family. Exactly. Those symbols of his past are now gone, and he is now face-to-face in close proximity with someone who represents his future. 
and an opportunity to no longer languish in what's behind him. And they definitely share some looks yeah between the two of them it's hard to describe because max is so straight-faced mm-hmm. it's hard to get things from him and in this case the feral child is doing the same thing they're just looking at each other yeah but it's there yeah right at this point max has the opportunity to either get up and start walking again or to stay in that van and just become like the quiet man. Mm -hmm. And we know what he's going to choose because by the end of this minute, he's up and dressed again and moving again. But before we get to that point, we cut outside the ambulance morgue hospital truck (laughs) thing to Papagallo, who is addressing the assembled members of the compound. And there are really not that many of them. No, the total number of them doesn't seem to be very much Mm -mm. and it could be that some of the no-name extras are off in other parts of the compound packing things keeping an eye on things right it's hard to tell if it's this is everybody or if it's just these are the people that we've seen before yeah i mean all the big players are there yeah gyro captain and arky are there timbo and Derek, the girl that was working on the lone wolf zeta warrior woman mechanic big rebecca's there curmudgeon the whole lot Yes. I don't need to go through this stuff, even though I just did. <laughs> but the important thing is that Papagallo is going over for seemingly the last time what the plan is yes. that they're going to follow. We definitely have an advantage in this scene, as do, I would assume, all of our listeners, that we've seen the movie. Mm-hmm. And we know what the twist is at the end. That the tanker is not full of fuel, but full of sand and earth. So once you know that twist, this plan that Papagallo is laying out is so obviously the decoy plan. Mm -hmm. He's just not using the term decoy or he's just not saying, oh, the tanker is going to be full of sand. He's addressing them and he says, I'll be driving the tanker. We're going to crash or crash through. Now, at this point, that's all they want, the tanker. So they'll come straight after us. So we'll use that to punch our way out, which will give all of you a very, very good chance. Now, don't hesitate. Once you're out there, split up and go as hard as you can. And so, like you said, he's not using the word decoy, but he's basically saying they want the tanker. I think Jerry Porter said it very well. The tanker, the tanker, why do they want the tanker? Well, big and it's shiny and it's supposedly full of fuel. Right. And so they are going to hopefully punch through that first line of cars and drag the rest of the horde along with them. And so Papagallo is saying, okay, you civilian vehicles, you're the important ones. Once we get those raiders away, just beat street, make it out of there. There's a line in this speech that we definitely read differently from each other. Mm -hmm. It's the crash or crash through. When I heard that line, I felt like Papagallo was trying to be inspirational in either, you know, this is it. We're either going to fail or we're going to succeed. Like football coach motivational type stuff. I just, it felt so smarmy to me. I hate it. And of course, that's the line you chose to open the podcast today. I found that amusing. That's because I read it as a bit more of a practical explanation of what they're going to do. The tanker is either going to make it through this exercise that they're about to participate in, or they're going to crash and burn. The important thing is that everybody else gets away. And I don't necessarily see it as a football coach thing. I think it's an admission that this is kind of a suicide mission that, you know, what are they, some sort of suicide squad? I think that's exactly what they are. And that Papagallo, Warrior Woman, Zeta, they all understand 
that this could be a one-way trip for them, but they're going to do this because it's going to give everybody else the best chance. And I suppose when you put it that way, I see how you read it that way. Mm -hmm. And then I'm okay with it. Yeah, I'm okay. But I mean, when Papagallo says it, and we're used to listening to Papagallo give grand speeches of motivation and try to persuade people to do things, I could see how you'd also just (laughs) assume that he's being smarmy about it. Yeah. Also, in this scene, you know how some people talk with their hands? Mm Mm-hmm. Papagallo is talking with his gun. (laughs) Yeah, he has taken Max's sawed-off shotgun, Mm -hmm. and he is holding it up in his hand and he's gesturing with it pointing it directly at people which is bad form it's bad it's a bad habit don't do it even if in this case the breach is open the gun is bent in half it's very clear that it is not functional right now so you know nobody feels like they're getting a gun pointed in their face literally but that doesn't make it okay You still don't point a gun at somebody because that sort of habit you don't want to get used to it like Treat the firearm with respect and don't wave it around Yeah, as a way to punctuate a speech. Right. <laughs> Speaking of the shotgun, when Papagallo is saying, once you're outside, split up and go as hard as you can, don't hesitate, and things like that, it makes me wonder, because Papagallo is not operating under the assumption that as soon as they push through with the tanker that literally all of the horde are going to go after them exclusively. He's very much aware that the horde could only partially get pulled away or ignore the tanker altogether in favor of ransacking the compound. And so he's telling people there could be trouble and it makes me wonder how much defense that caravan has because it doesn't really seem like they have any real fighters. I feel like the majority of the more combative members of the compound are going on the tanker. I agree. I I do feel like the vehicles, the civilian vehicles are more or less defenseless, Mm -hmm. which is ballsy considering that the strategy of distraction and splitting up, they've done this before. They did this with the scouts, sent out five scouts or so, all going in different directions, hoping that the horde wasn't going to chase after every single one of them and right. somebody would get through. Well, it didn't work. Yeah, they were hoping that one scout would lead everybody away, leaving the other three available. Yeah. I think the one major thing that the scout plan had missing that this plan has in spades is that the horde wants the tanker. The entire horde knows the tanker is the goal. So they actually have a carrot on the end of a stick that they can lead the proverbial horse away from where they don't want the horse to be. (laughs) The metaphor kind of fell apart, but you know, you get the idea. Yes, I think you're right. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this plan does work. I don't recall, and we'll certainly get into it when it's actually happening, but the civilian vehicles, I don't recall them having any trouble getting away. Yeah, and they don't necessarily move with haste either, which is something I'm probably going to call them on again once we actually see them driving. Yeah, we'll get to it, but this plan definitely worked better than the scout plan. Mm -hmm. And you're Mm -hmm. right, the, the fuel was the difference. The tanker. The tanker was the difference. The tanker, tanker, tanker. They're obsessed with the tanker. Yeah. (laughs) The Marauders are so dumb. So gullible. Yeah. Did it it never occur to them that the tanker wouldn't be full of the fuel? Did it never occur to them that the compound dwellers would hide the fuel somewhere else? This is a subject for further down the road, Mm -hmm. but the Marauders are dumb. Yeah. I'm willing to bet that 
they've been hearing the Lord Humongous talk about, give us that tanker full of fuel, and that the fuel must be in that tanker. And when the boss is convinced of something, I mean, he's convinced. Right. He's going to make a decision, and everyone's going to have to follow along with it. Yeah. And it occurs to me that, yeah, there's all this tanker, tanker, tanker talk. Did anybody ever confirm that there was actually any fuel in that tanker ever? Nope. No, they didn't. Kind of seems like a severe oversight. Okay, you know what the Marauder gang horde needs? They need a spy. They (laughs) need somebody who is sneaky Mm -hmm. and stealthy and small enough to get in through the rabbit holes that we're not sure they know are there probably not but they need somebody who's like clever and quick who could sneak in there confirm information yeah gather information about how many people are in there how much food do they have can the horses lay siege and they'll starve them out is there actually fuel in the tanker yeah that's what they need they need a spy i feel like you are channeling the warrior woman a little bit because that's the exact situation she thought max was presenting (laughs) when he first showed up with nathan she was a hundred percent convinced that he was a spy that he was there and could not be trusted one bit and she was all gung-ho about just tossing him back out into the wasteland and i'm actually surprised that the Horde didn't try that, grab one of the scouts and bring them back injured. It seems like such an obvious plan now, hindsight being 2020. Mm-hmm. But you're right, it would have given them a leg up on information so that they wouldn't be fooled by something like this. And I think we can just thank our lucky stars that the Horde wasn't smarter. Absolutely. As Papagallo reaches the end of the main chunk of his speech, we cut back to the view of the back of the hospital morgue ambulance truck thing and max is limping his way out of it fully decked out in his gear he's using the feral child as a crutch which i'm sure the feral child appreciates considering there were like three or four crutches hanging up in that ambulance that he could have used instead (laughs) i didn't notice that oh yeah i i saw them the wooden style crutches where you just stick them up under your elbow they were sitting right there but nope he's gonna use the feral child it's This shot specifically that I mentioned yesterday that Max has a fresh bandage on his knee with a big old bloody spot. I'm pretty sure that when they brought him in to work on him, they probably left his pants on. I believe they did. I think back yesterday when we saw him waking up and moving around, I'm pretty sure we could see like the waistband of his pants. Maybe during the panning. Mm Mm-hmm. We could see the waistband of his pants. Because leather pants are difficult enough to get on. They must be near impossible to get off after a certain point in time. Referring back to the emergency room imagery, they just cut that stuff off of you. Yeah. Leather pants are no match for an emergency room nurse with a good pair of scissors. (laughs) So I am surprised that those pants are still on him. Mm -hmm. That they're not in tatters on the floor. Well, and pants are so rare, I'm sure, in that day and age. If there's a way to preserve apparel they probably take those steps right but there's preserving apparel and then there's not tending to injuries that are potentially life-threatening yeah i just don't believe that they would cut his pants off well you're right because they didn't yeah cut his pants off and i'm just surprised that they didn't because it did appear that he had some leg injuries back at the crash site Mm -hmm. although it occurs to me Thinking about how he couldn't stand, like he couldn't walk, he was dragging himself along. But at the same time, we were getting that double vision fogginess effect. Yeah, he probably couldn't stand up even if he wanted to. Right. The blast 
probably like, okay, so dizziness and vertigo are caused by the little stones in your ear getting like out of whack. Yeah. So you can't find your balance. That probably happened to him. Right. Because not only was that explosion huge and hot, but it probably also produced a very disorienting shockwave. Shockwave. Yes. So perhaps him not being able to walk was more an effect of having vertigo and not being able to find his balance. Mm -hmm. But still, that old wound must have opened up somehow. Yeah, I think so. When you're transitioning from the first movie to the second movie, I think we discussed that he probably never sought proper medical attention for that gunshot to his knee. Getting shot in the knee is troublesome even now with modern medicine like you're never going to be the same yeah and that's even after having proper medical attention surgery to repair things and then physical therapy for however long he had none of that actually i'm surprised that he's walking so well even with the brace on his leg yeah and i mean earlier in the movie he does run and he jumps and he climbs and Mm -hmm. you know so he's pretty lucky yeah Considering. Yes, considering. Another detail that stood out to me as he was stepping out of that truck was that even though the compound is going to be evacuated in mere moments, that they still have the pump going. They have not stopped the pump. It is still going ka-chunk, 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 full steam ahead. I wonder, I didn't look this up ahead of time. This is all off the top of my head. I wonder if there is a process to shutting down a refinery. Mm -hmm. I would imagine that you can't just flip a switch and the whole thing stops. There are chemical reactions going on and things relying on other parts of the refinery working. I don't think you can just stop that. So it's probably easier for them to keep it going. I also... Just to walk away. I think they also kept it running to keep up appearances. That's a good point. They don't want to tip their hand at all. Yeah. The horde is already determined that they are going to tear this compound to the ground the compound dwellers have already determined that they're going to leave but even so i think your idea that it takes too long and it's too arduous of a process to shut it all down in addition to just they've got so much to do so much preparing to do that the task of shutting it all down would just take away from more important things right so i think you're pretty much right on both terms Okay. In the background of this shot, we hear Papagallo continue. He says, Now 200 miles to the north, there's a place with a bridge called Powder River. And he's going to go on and discuss how that's their rendezvous point in more specific terms tomorrow. He's going to dictate when they're going to meet up and when they should keep moving if they don't show up and whatnot. But what stood out to me is the distance and the name. So I jumped on Google Maps because that's like my primary resource for things when it comes to locations. And I searched for the Powder River Bridge. And there doesn't seem to necessarily be one of note in Australia that I could find. So I'm very interested to know if there actually is one and where it is in relation to Silverton and Broken Hill. I'm guessing that it's an invented location. Mm-hmm. for the movie. However, there is actually a Powder River Bridge. It's just located in Prairie County, Montana, and uh, it's a bit more than 200 miles north of the compound. It is a bridge spanning the Powder River just above its confluence with the Yellowstone River in Prairie County, Montana. It was added to the National Register of Historic Places on January 4th, 2010, and it is a steel truss-style bridge built in 1946, 633 feet in length, consisting of 203-foot main truss span and two 163-foot truss spans. 
Okay. So it sounds like a pretty substantial bridge. Oh, yeah. When I searched on Google image search for the Powder River Bridge, I saw the pictures of it and I was like, oh, that is a substantial landmark. That would be really easy to find. Mm-hmm. Then I realized what country it was in and I was like, oh, that, no, that, 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 that. <laughs> That's not right. Too far away to make a good rendezvous point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although the idea of meeting at a bridge is a pretty good idea because when society collapses, sure, bridges probably won't be kept up, but at least the larger ones, like the giant steel bridges, like the one I just described, would definitely last longer and be much easier to track down. Find the Powder River and just keep going until you find the Powder River Bridge. Huh. It's funny you say that because at the very end of Thunderdome, we get to see Sydney and we get to see the Sydney Harbor Bridge and it's all busted up. That pretty much wraps up Minute 72, which means we are going to come back tomorrow with the tail end of Papagallo's speech. The mechanic is going to raise a bit of a ruckus about where he wants to ride during the execution of this plan. And then uh, he would if he could. He would if he could. (laughs) And Max is going to pipe up and join the conversation. So come back for that. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy and presented by Warner Brothers Pictures in association with Village Roadshow Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. You can follow Mad Max Minute on Twitter at Mad Max Minute, on Facebook at Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone, and at MadMaxMinute.com. And finally, if you would like to contribute to the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, click on the support link at the top of the page, and check out our Patreon to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 7. 72 of the Road Warrior. See you tomorrow.